0: Let's put our hymn books aside, and we'll take out our Bibles and consider a portion of God's Word. You might have thought that we would be back to Revelation today. I might have hoped for the same, yet wanted to give our attention again to a bit of what we learned, or at least kind of where we were last week in the book of Acts, in our celebration of Pentecost. So that's why we are turning again to this book And in addition to that, I am trying to determine when we need to transition from our study in Revelation to our preparation for Vacation Bible School, and then back to Revelation. So that's a little bit of what is going on in my mind. But I hope you have a Bible with you today. Young people, it is not every day that I get the pleasure of having all ages So I encourage you to get your Bible out or to look on with mom and dad, and we're not going to be going over too many verses today, so you'll be able to find it and uh, look and uh, see the words that are God's words that he has for us, and I pray that they'll be a good encouragement for us today. I did, in full disclosure, uh, put together uh, this sermon in part for the young people. Obviously, for us all, every age, but some of the matters we'll go over today, I want to make uh, as plain as can be said uh, for their sakes. So, we're in Acts chapter 2. Brothers and sisters in the Lord, let's consider this morning the local church. Let's pray. Father, as we open your word this morning, we pray that we would receive it, not as the word of men, but it is the living word of God, the word which brings life in the heart of dead men like us, and the word that uh, quickens us, the word that directs us. We pray that it would direct our thoughts today, and that we would find ourselves in complete agreement with it, either in recovering these words or in committing to agree with what you have said. We pray for that this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder what the long term consequences of COVID 19 will have on the local church. According to some, the church has never closed. That's to say that those who are religious continue to do goodwill, and therefore, even through a unique time like this, the churches have never closed. Other people have said the church has gone online. Therefore, in the comfort of your own home, on your couch, in your pajamas, with your coffee in hand, you have had church. That is, church was watching someone else preach or pray or praise the Lord. Now, I wonder how many church buildings will never again be opened for the gathering of God's people, because if faith is simply doing goodwill to men then why does the church need to meet? And if church can be streamed, why meet? I mean, just think about it for a second. Think about how much more convenient it would be to just have church at home. There would be no dressing up in order to go worship God. There would be no rush to get everyone ready. There would be no driving to church. There would be no having to unlock the doors of the church. There would be no having to run the nursery at church. Instead, you could have church at home. You could watch it live, or if you prefer, you could watch it back at your own convenience. Even better, you could listen to a good preacher. I mean, you could listen to the best of preachers from the ministries with the best worship services and the best video productions. If church were online... Just think, all that money could be stewarded to the best speakers and the best ministries. Everything local could be done away with, all those salaries, all those buildings. I mean, who really needs the problems of pastors and buildings when we could all just have church online with the best of the best? You see, in the internet age, do we really need the local church? Is there any need it all to gather as God's people. Last week, we celebrated Pentecost, which is the birthday of the local church with the coming of the Holy Spirit to permanently indwell believers. And on that day, about 2,000 years ago, the Apostle Peter preached to an enormous crowd of Jews in Jerusalem. And through his ministry, Christ began to build his church. People were becoming Christians. What I'd like to do this morning is to consider this question. What difference did it make in their lives? When people became Christians, what difference did it make in their lives? When someone became a Christian, what changed? And as we see what changed, we will know what must be for us today who follow Christ We're going to be studying in Acts 2, but particularly we're going to focus on verses 41 and 42. And as we do that, we're going to see two progressions. The first is from personal to public, and the second is from initial to perpetual. We're going to find the first point in the first portion of verse 41, where you can look in your Bibles and read these words with me. The Bible says, So those who received his word. The first truth of those who became Christians was that they welcomed God's word. They listened to God's word. That is to say, they heard it. They were exposed to it. You can go back to verse 36. This is where Peter was preaching. Peter said, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. So these religious Jewish people recognized that this moment on this day who Jesus truly was, he was both Lord and Christ, the Messiah. And they recognized that they had treated him wrongly because as Peter said, you've crucified him. The one that God exalted, you crucified. So in the Word of God, they heard about God. They heard about themselves. And those are two key subjects in God's Word. And they're two key subjects in the preaching of God's Word. So when we hear preaching or Bible teaching, you should expect to learn about God, you should expect to learn about yourself. Now, how did these people respond to what they heard? Well, they received it, verse 41 says. So those who received his word, what does that mean to receive it? Young people, look down at verse 44, just a few verses below verse 41. Acts 2, 44. It describes those same people, but with some different words. It says this, and all who believed. What did they believe? Well they believed what they heard about God and about themselves. If you turn to page forward to chapter four, verse four, it would say this Many of those who had heard the word believed. They believed what? They believed that sin was a barrier between God and them. They believed that they were unable to do anything to break down that barrier. Their only hope was to trust in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. That's the word they heard that they believed. In asking for God's mercy, they believed that he would remove that sin barrier. That was God's word. And what is true of Christians is that they welcome God's Word, because it is by God's word that we have life and we know how to live for God's glory. We are people of faith because we are people of the word. And while that is a truth for all of life, according to this text, it was a personal response. Welcoming the word of God was a personal matter, it was a personal choice. Not only was it personal, it was also their initial step of following Christ. You see, God's first gracious gift is the faith to believe his word. If you have not welcomed God's word, you are not a follower of Jesus Christ. To follow Christ means you have accepted what he says. And it is from this very personal matter of welcoming God's word that springs the very public matter We find that in the end of verse 41. Acts 2.41 says this, Those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. You see, this is where faith becomes public. So we find a second truth of those who follow Christ. Not only do they welcome the word of God, but secondly, they connected with Christ and his church. You see, baptized believers were added to the church. They were baptized in in Christ's name. They identified with Christ. It says that those who received the word were baptized. Now, we've had a few baptismal services, one away from here, a couple away from here, and then one here recently. And you've seen that baptism is a religious rite of a person being immersed in water. Young people, there's a difference between playing in the pool with your siblings and baptism. Just because you put your brother underneath the water doesn't mean you baptize them. Because the act of baptizing is accompanied by God's name. Remember the Great Commission, Matthew 28, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. You see, baptism is not a silent ceremony. It's a statement of someone professing to be God's child by the mercy and forgiveness found in Christ alone. And when the first Gentiles were saved in the book of Acts, they were commanded to make their faith public through baptism. So as a cross-reference, Acts chapter 10, verse 48, Peter commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Because baptism is a public statement of faith in Jesus Christ. It is God's way of making your connection, your personal connection with Christ, public. It's the first step that follows faith in God's Word. It's a one-time step of obedience. This is not only identifying with Christ, however. When someone is baptized, he not only identifies with Christ, but he also identifies with others who believe That's why verse 41 goes on to say, and there was added that day about 3,000 souls. You see, they were added to Christ's church. They identified with his people. Jesus promised that he would build his church, and on Pentecost, the beginning of that church came. That grace harvest came. On that one day, 3,000 souls were added, and then more were being added to that number. Look at the last verse of chapter 2. It says this the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. If you go ahead to chapter 4 5000 were added after Peter preached again. 3000 one day, one day 5000 another, multiple as the days go by. What we find is that this group of disciples, followers of Christ, who were only 120, who were meeting in the upper room in Jerusalem, praying there, Acts 1.15, they became a multitude of thousands who had trusted in Christ. But here's the question I want us to consider. What was the nature of this newly formed church? Was there any kind of personal connection between those who believed in Jesus Or did they simply happen to share the same beliefs? For example, we live in the same community and we have the same utilities for our gas, electricity, telephone, and internet. Therefore, we subscribe to the same kind of providers. Yet, the fact that we're customers of Nisig doesn't make us a group that is connected with one another. Our connection... Through NISIG, is only through wires and poles that's the extent of it. but when it comes to the Church of Jesus Christ, it's much more. Look at verse 44, and let's learn about these who believed. Acts 244 says, "And all who believed, what are the next two words were together." You say Being together was the case for every single believer in Christ, just as as every single believer ought to be connected with Christ publicly by baptism, every single believer ought to be connected with a local church. To say it very simply, believers regularly get together with other believers. And a book like the book of 1 Timothy is written for the express purpose of showing all that's supposed to take place when they do get together and meet. 1 Timothy 3.15, it shows how they are to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. And there are numerous ways that the church is supposed to love one another. And all of those things can only be accomplished in the context of actually being together. And according to 2.44, all believers were together together, all of them. From that truth, let's draw some points. First, while following Christ is a personal matter, it is not a private matter. Notice the nuance. While following Christ is a personal matter, you have to make the decision for yourself. It is not a private matter. Those who welcome God's word are also connected with Christ in the church. The Christian faith is a personal matter that is made public. That is to be the truth. That ought to be the case in every case. For all believers were together. Those who believed were baptized. Secondly, there isn't any room for a lone ranger sort of Christianity. From the very beginning, faith, was thrust into the public. It was not simply something that a person kept private. Thirdly, baptism and church membership are fundamental. They're fundamental. It was natural for those who were newly born as children of God to announce their connection to Christ and their affiliation with others who were Christ. That was normal and natural and basic. So not only does Christ mean that you welcome God's Word, but you will also connect publicly with Christ and with the church. And and these things, what we see is a progression from personal to public. Yet those are also initial responses. What we read there is what took place on the day of Pentecost. People heard the Word, they received the Word, they welcomed God's Word. On that day... They were baptized on that day. They were added to the church. The question is, what about the next day? What about decades later? What is the perpetual truth for Christ's followers? Well, last this morning, these people were devoted to Christian fellowship. Verse 42, they were committed to the church. Verse 42 says this, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship To the breaking of bread and the prayers. You see, the nature of following Christ is one of devotion. Christianity isn't a season in someone's life, it's not a spark in the pan. Following Christ is a never ending path that believers tread. And if we want to know what that path is like, we find it in verse 42. Because these people were devoted to Christian practices, they were therefore committed to Christ, they were Christian practices. The first one comes up in the fact that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They learned from the teaching of Christ's apostles. As we think of the people on on Pentecost, these Jews who heard Peter preach, they knew the Old Testament scriptures and they knew the passages that Peter was citing. But what they didn't know was the connection between the Old Testament and Jesus Christ. And that's what Peter did he made the connection between the scriptures and Christ. And that was the same education that Jesus had given his disciples, and now they are giving the instruction. So as you read through the book of Acts and the rest of the epistles, you find the dots connected. Not only must there be one who is sacrificed in the place of another, but it is Christ who is sacrificed in our place for our sins. That's what the apostles do in connecting the dots for us. So the apostles put the pieces together. These followers of Christ also observed the Lord's Supper, which pictured the gospel of Christ. As we observe the Lord's Supper in just a moment, it is in the breaking of the bread that we see the sacrifice of Christ. It is as we observe this supper that we see the personal reception of Christ's work on our behalf as we take the elements and we eat them and we drink them. And this ordinance points to Christ and it shows us that our hope is in Him. And this is what followers of Christ repeatedly do. It's one of the things that the church gathers to do. So that's what happens as you look at verse 46 and day by day. Attending the temple, there's that word again, together, and breaking bread in their homes. Probably another reference to the Lord's Supper. And that same practice shows up years later. If you return forward to chapter 20, verse 7, it says this of Paul on the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, the Ephesian elders. That is to say, by that time, it was regular on the first day of the week, Sunday, for them to gather together, and on that day, they would observe the Lord's Supper. They would break bread. So these worship the Lord, giving themselves to the apostles' doctrine, to the Lord's Supper, and to prayer, which is a summary of worship to the Lord. They recognized that the Lord is the sovereign God, and they regularly and corporately sought Him in prayer. And it is through these Christian practices that they followed Christ, and it continued well after Pentecost. That said, their connection was not simply to Christ, not simply to learn more about Him, to observe an ordinance, to pray to Him, but they are also connected to the church, because they were devoted to Christian people. They were committed to the local church. It says they devoted themselves to fellowship. That is to say they came together regularly. Verse 44 says it. I've already said it. All who believed were together. And it showed up in a lot of tangible ways. Look at verses 44 and 45. And had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, they're together in the temple, breaking bread. You see, they're together. This is a community of faith. But one of the strangest things about this community of faith is the fact that people are so different. And as the call for people to come to Christ goes forth, and people from every nation are called, what you find is that all sorts of people are called to become part of this church? How can you have any kind of unity when you have such difference of background, of race, of societal strata? How can you have any unity? And of course I bring this up in part because of the great difficulties that are going on in our nation. How is it that there can be unity among people of such difference? And to that, I would find the answer quickly, because we'd have to fast-forward in church history from this day in Acts 2. We'd also want to fast-forward to a book about unity, like the book of Ephesians. And we'd run to a passage like Ephesians 2, which talks about breaking down the wall of division. And remember how that chapter begins. What brings God's people together is their shared belief about what God says to be so. And what do we all believe? First, we're dead in trespasses and sin. That's what binds us. When many people one day will stand before the Lord and say, didn't I do many great things for you? They will tell all the good they did, and he says to them, I don't know you. There are others who are surprised that they did any good, who know they're sinners. You were dead in trespasses and sin. But God, who's rich in mercy, made us alive. And in Christ, he's broken down the wall. Why? Because whether we're this race or that race, male or female, bond or free, we're all sinners We all need a Savior. And we confess we are great sinners, and Christ is a great Savior. And so we have unity in this Christian fellowship. That is what brings us together, and that is glorious. So in closing, I don't know how COVID-19 will affect local churches. I don't know if some churches will say, you know, there are other churches who do this better than we do. And given the fact that church is just as legitimate online, let's just close them all down. There's someone else who can do it better. Let's put all our money into that and uh, streamline this. Well, that doesn't go along with what we find in Scripture. The people of Christ are, are, are not only those who personally embrace the Lord, but they publicly do so. And they come together together in their commitment to the Lord, in their commitment to each other. And that takes a local church. You see, the church must be local. It can't just be live. Father, we pray that you will help us to consider your plan for your people. Help us to see that bringing people together of all backgrounds, around the truths about themselves and about you and about salvation in Christ was your plan, that they would be together, that they would minister to each other, that they would evangelize the lost. That was all part of your plan. And, Father, help us to be about that and committed to that. Father, as we look at each other right now, help us to realize this is your will for us that we believe in you, that we affirm the faith of others around us here, that we build up one another here, so that the testimony of Christ will shine bright. Because that cannot happen unless we're together. We realize in your wisdom that you wanted us to be together so that we can bring you glory. We pray that we'll be committed to that in Jesus' name. Amen.